Welcome to the Game On Water Polo Podcast. The Game On Water Polo Pod will take a look at water polo growth, culture, and best practices from the perspective of water polo athletes, clubs, parents, referees, and coaches from around the United States. My name is Sean Stringham, and I look forward to create a conversation honoring the history of water polo, but more importantly, talking about what's happening now, and of course, in the future of our sport. My co-host and friend, Janai Kerr, 2004 Athens Olympian is coming to us live from Princeville, Kauai. Please subscribe, rate, give a five-star review, and share the podcast. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all by searching at GameOnLS. Check out our website, www.goals.co. That's www.gols.co. Welcome. Uh, thanks again, Brenda, Brenda Via, V Brenda Via, for joining us here on the Game On Water Polo Pod. Uh, Janai, as our first guest, we're kind of starting out with a punch here, don't you think? I mean, she's fantastic from a historical perspective. She's fantastic in the current. And I, my guess is she has quite a bit to say about the future of water polo. Yeah. We definitely set ourselves up because where do we go from here? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> like I was thinking before. about that. Like, <laughs> we should, we should have started with someone like totally random and, and not Brenda Via, but I guess we're going to go for it here. So thank you so much, Brenda. Uh, you know, it's one of those, that's, I guess the nice thing about starting with you is that you don't need much introduction. Uh, you know, you are one of the most dominant water polo players of our generation, uh, participating in the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, the 2004 Olympics in Athens, the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, the 2012 Olympics in uh, London, right? What an incredible story. And I, I, part of what I really want to talk about today is uh, both your background, but also, like I mentioned, what, where do you see this, where the sport going? And as we kind of jump into this, like what, what, I mean, if you look at your history and your story, right, you started uh, playing with the boys in commerce. Uh, you, I've, I read Sydney silver lining and that super cool. That's a fantastic story of like just scrapping to get a team together. And how did, how, tell me what was the most different between participating at Sydney in 2000 and that process of getting to London in 2012, right? Just kind of that development of women's water polo over that time. Big question. <laughs> well, I mean, you think about Sydney, the women were put into the Olympic program December of 97. So you have two years to prepare for something, right? And something so new, there were so many, I think, women coming out of retirement. Like it was such a big moment for the sport. Right. Um, and the way the qualification system worked, it was strange. It was like the highest ranking America's team at the FINA, FINA World Cup qualifies as the America's representative, which you're like, okay, but there's so much that's out of your control, right? Because depending sometimes on the other bracket or who you play, who you lose to. So it was an incredibly bizarre experience now right. that I think back compared right. to, to Sydney. But I think there were so many lessons learned in those two years. We didn't qualify the first time. We qualified in Europe. You know, it was a massive upset when Hungary and Italy, two historically strong water polo countries, don't qualify for the first ever Olympics. Um, but I think that has set up, you know, the trajectory, I think, of, of women's water polo in the Olympic era. And then you think about, I think about London, and I think about a new coach. And yes, the ending is 
a new Olympic coach. Guy Baker had coached three Olympics prior. It was a new coach, a new, not a new system entirely, but a new, I guess, some new philosophy, right, that Adam right. brought in. And it wasn't always roses. And right. I mean, luckily it, it worked out because we all believed in one thing. So that was an interesting experience too. Um, but it was for me that was special because we qualified for the Olympic Games at the Pan American Games in Guadalajara. And my mom is from Jalisco, the state that Guadalajara is in. So right. for me, it was like a perfect ending, right, to my career where I finally get to play in Mexico in front of my two Mexican grandmas. And that right, qualified wow. us for London <laughs> to the, the Cinderella gold medal um, ending. And how about like the support of the sport, right? From a brand new Olympic sport being invited into the Olympics to a gold medal in, in the, and that time you won every color of medal, which is kind of a, a kind of cool thing. It did the, how did the sport change or get identified differently for women's water polo in that time frame? Well, I think back to those, what late nineties, that's when, water polo became varsity right in colleges so there's more scholarships for um, college players so that just opened the door for right. just more talent to come through right and then you think of the national team it went from I mean our support like it was so minimal back then I I, I don't even want to go into numbers but it was so minimal where right you know five you of us you can, you can make a survival of no, like you think about it and it's like, I was so young that for me, it, it kind of worked, right? right. Because there, I didn't have all this, these other like real life worries to think about. But in some ways, like as a first gen, like lower, like coming from a lower income family, like there were times where I was like, oh, like my parents are supposed to help me also. <laughs> like it was just this, this strange right. time, right? Where a lot of my other teammates, some did have that, that parental financial support that, I kind of had in different ways, um, but now like going to London, it, it was, it was so different or even the thought of you think about Sydney, we come back with the silver medal and there's prize money with that. If we were in college, we couldn't get it. Right. And then that January of 2001, I think the USOPC and NCAA figured it out and they said, no, these athletes should be able to get that prize money. So then there was, maybe half, not half the team, but a few of us, quite a bit of us on the team from Sydney that could have used that. Right. right. And it was, <laughs> no, <laughs> you can't yeah, get right. it. Good luck. Right. Um, but no, huge change from Sydney to London. Um, a lot in the financial area from the USOPC, from USA Water Pole, even I would think from coverage, even, you know, social media, I think was just really kicking off right then. Right. Yep. There was some Twitter, right, and Facebook, but like Instagram was like starting to blow up. So I feel like, I don't even know if that was, who knows, but I feel like that was the beginning of a lot of different opportunities for just sports in general. Right. And it, and in your, I mean, how do you personally feel about that? I mean, you've been such a huge influence in the sport um, and Obviously, now the women's team is absolutely dominant on the world stage, right? Um, and talk to a little bit about the culture of how that team changed, how that national team changed from, from one Olympiad to the next. Uh, and kind of the, how, is that something that you actively managed as a team captain or as coaches? 
uh, to kind of get into what is pretty cool culture, what it seems like from, you know, all perspectives currently in the women's team now. I mean, I, I would just, I guess, right? Like it's right. <laughs> We lost you there for a second, Brenda. Women, I think that have represented Team USA at the Olympic level, something like that. But if you think about there's been six Olympics and only 41 women, like there's a lot of repeat Olympians. So that just means that the foundation, the story share, the legacy kind of continues. There's still a connection from, um, if you think about from the first Olympics, right? Like, Mo coached Maggie Steffens, right? Right. Then I played with Mo on that Olympic team. And then like Petey and, and I then, you know, played with Mel Siderman and Maggie. They're still now on the team, right? right. They won two gold medals. So there is still this cool connection that lives within um, the women's water polo team. And a lot of it is the shared stories that we tell. Like we talk about the, the connected circle. You can't break our circle. Like we have each other in the pool. There's, I mean, of course, there's been some tweaks because then you think about guy coaching for three Olympic cycles. Now, Adam coaching for three Olympic cycles. So there have been some changes, but there are still a lot of foundational things. And even if you think about it, like guy and Adam coach together, right? right. So there's yeah. just a lot of um, connections. And I think that is so great. And I think the the collegiate system in the US, right? NCAA, like being able to play in college really gives us an edge. And then yeah. you think of like Title IX. So then you compare us to the rest of the world and all these things are in our favor. Right. So I think that is embedded in the culture of um, our women's national team, like the gratitude and the work ethic and just that fire that is still there. I have a, I have a couple of questions like for the more normal person that doesn't go to four Olympics, right? Um, how they, how do you, what, what a piece of advice do you give a young girl or a boy starting off in, as in high school? Um, that's maybe not an established program, but they want to help grow that program and create their own legacy the same way you women did with the women's national team. Great question. And I think, I mean, you don't have to be an Olympian, right, to, to create a legacy in your community, to help grow the sport, to make a difference. Um, I think one thing I tell kids a lot is like talk about your dreams and your goals out loud, like dream out loud, like tell people what you have in mind, because you'd be surprised the the support systems that can be out there to help you um, follow those dreams. I think a lot of times like you write about them or you might tell one person, but the more people you talk to about them, I think you will find, especially waterfall, right? We're such a small community where it's like, Hey, you want to, you know, your goal is to go to ODP. Like I can help you like this. These are the steps you need to do. Like, Oh, you want to start a girls team. Like here are five people that I know that started, you know, their gross programs in their own cities. Maybe I'll connect you so you can have a conversation. So I think just, Believing in yourself and then talking about your dreams out loud, I think, are small steps that could go a long way. Nice. Thank you. Um, in terms of that, kind of back to the, the culture piece, is, is that something that the coaches managed or did that come from the athletes, right? We're, we are going to have this circle of gratitude. You're in this circle. 
who, where did that manifest from? Like how, where did that vibe come from? I think it's, it's mutual, right? I think it's this like shared um, vision that, that you have, like you can't, I mean, the coaches pick the teams, but I think in the water, you don't hear your coaches half of the time. Let's be honest, right? So I can, I can, I can attest to that half. How about none of the time? (laughs) I mean, I'm a coach now and I'm just like, okay. Like at the end of the day, I'm yelling because I want to give you information, but you can't hear half the time. (laughs) So I think it's knowing that right as, as water polo players getting in those tough moments and knowing that the trust that you have to build with each other. And then just, you have this common goal coaches and players. So I think it was created um, simultaneously. And I think back to the circle, like that started like with the 2000 team. And if you think, if you ask um, the, like the women's now, like a lot of them will talk about the circle or there's pictures of the circle. And it's just like the one time before your game starts where you're all connected coaches, all staff and players. Right. So right. I think that is something it might've started with the coaches, like knowing that we needed to connect that way back in the day. But I think that's something that as players were like, yeah, like this is the one time we could all be together and we know we have each other's back, like whatever happens in the water. So I think, I think it's both. Right. So how do we, how do we translate that really kind of incredible vibe that the team has uh, to attract more women and girls into the game? Like I I'm here sitting in Salt Lake city, Utah, uh, obviously COVID had a, a big impact and our women's team is maybe a third, the size of our men's team. And we're trying to attract women all the time, doing clinics, trying to get a, How do, how do as clubs and coaches, how do we make sure that we feel like women have a place in this game and as a place to find strength, right? Cause I love it. My, I have three daughters, they all play water polo and they love it. I love it. Like they are super strong and confident and kind of growing off into college now. And that game has made a huge impact for them. How do we attract more women into the game and girls? Million dollar question. But right? <laughs> I, I think that from a young age, if if we're able to um, promote the fun that you have and the friendships that you will, right. you will um, establish. And I think that friendship piece is really important to girls. So then how do we create like a bring a friend, bring five friends? Because I think girls would be willing to try new things if that was the case. And then for me, I've done a lot of work in under-resourced areas or a lot of um, areas that are underrepresented in our sport. And a lot of it is the parent piece. Yeah. Like how do we make parents trust us? And then how do we sell our sport to them? So they're like, sure, my kid will try this. So it, it's a combination, but I do think that having like 10 and under teams that maybe you do offer girls only, right? Like right. I know that a lot of the times when you're starting programs, you don't have enough. So you just kind of all put them together, but sometimes you do need the girl only piece. Right. So just um, being able to think outside the box and um, it might be as simple as like bring a brand to water polo because there might be girls that are like, oh, I want to try, but I don't want to go by myself. Right. Like, maybe it is <laughs> so- as simple as that. So I know for college, you had a male um, head coach and both national team coaches, you played for males. How important do you think it is to have a female coach or representative to see themselves as for young girls on deck? Huge. So the other, I did a, a talk with CIF Southern section about title nine and coming up on the 50th anniversary. And cause I played with boys on the high school team. Right. And one of the questions was like, who are your key mentors? Right. Or who were people that made an impact for you growing up? And one is my mother and the other one was my swim coach. 
who was a female, who was yeah. a female Latina, who I was, I identified myself in her. And here is the support where, I mean, we hear about the tensions, right? Between swim teams and water polo teams all the time, but that's someone, a mentor that had a huge impact on me. So I think back and I'm like, she was supporting me in, in the toughest times, right? Like high school, like choices. And for her, it was like swim because it's going to help you in water polo. I know water polo is the sport you're going to choose. So to have somebody do that, right. And then we're, we're really good friends, all this stuff, but it's, it's so incredible that I haven't had that many female coaches in my life, but she was a huge impact. And then I think back of my college coach, like Susan Ortwine, like at the time I didn't think about it, but I'm like, Oh, she was, you know, a different support in college that I needed that I didn't know I needed. And then on the Olympic team, like you think of like Heather Moody, who was my captain in 04, a teammate in 2000, then on the coaching staff, um, 2008, 2012. And like for 2012, for me, she was a lifeline. Right. So it's, you need more. I mean, I've had conversations with, with Adam and USA water polo about the last two like coaching staffs, right? Like they're great. And are we getting women in the pipeline? Are we asking them why we don't have women on those, those high levels and what we can do different now to start supporting them. If that is something that we think is important, which I think it is. Well, and, and Janai, maybe a question for you in terms of like that translation, like I, I, we're trying to build a very, very active splash ball program at Olympus. Right. And one of the best weeks of splash ball is when I had 10, 12 and under girls show up and it was like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. And so literally I like, didn't cancel because we have our women's program is working out at the same time as the splash ball kids. And I said, okay, girls, you're going to come over here and you're going to play against these splash ball girls. And we're going to take a picture of this because this is going to be generational type thing. And they came over and it was the best time we've had in a long time. Like they played the girl, the splash ball girls were scoring on them and it was super fun. But like, I think that whole idea of connecting generations is super important, whether it be senior mm -hmm. in high school and 12, you know, 12 year olds or you know, Brenda and Maggie and Maggie and whoever the next, you know, whoever the next Maggie and or Brenda might be like that next icon type thing. So, I mean, so for your, your club is um, specifically Sean, how many female coaches do you have? We have, uh, we have one female coach, Alexis Courtney, who coaches the women. Um, and then we're actively looking for other coaches right now that are women as well. So, and obviously my daughter graduated uh, in 2019 and she's coaching, not with us, but uh, up at college. So, I mean, again, I think that's to me is critical. Like I brought, I wanted a woman coach to coach the women. I think that's very, very important for them personally. So, and Brenda, I don't know if you know, they're actually um, Colleen coaches McKendry coaches, both the men's and women's head programs. So we're making progress It's just yeah. slower than other than we'd like. Um, but as we pull our sport together and grow our community, we will get full representation. Yeah, no, I think that's I didn't know that. And, and thank you for sharing that, because even stuff like that, right, like information where we can tell everyone, like, look, a woman's coaching both programs, it does it. <laughs> and I didn't realize that at the Olympics, the South African coach was the first female head coach at an Olympics, right? Like, did, did we have you, did you hear about that? Do you know about that? Right? Like it's one of these, these things where, where we have these milestones that are happening that no one is aware of. So we're not even sharing those stories. So I think, 
we have to share those stories because then that might encourage other people to be like, oh, it can be done. And it could be a matter of, oh, why don't I coach boys or men, right? Like, I remember I applied for the Occidental job, um, which would have coached men and women, like Chris Lee and I did, and he ended up getting the job. But like that was something that at the moment I was like, oh, I can do this. And then now that I think about it, I go, I don't know if I want to do that, but why not? Like, why do I hesitate in coaching boys or men, right? Right. But I think because there's less women out there. So I'm like, wait, how am I going to divide my time? But I, I just, I wish that just more people were coaching both genders. Yeah. Yeah. Well, an interesting like connection about women's coach and actually roundabout is that Joan Young, who uh, was my high school water polo coach in Salt Lake City, was the mother of Courtney Young, also known as Courtney Johnson, who played with you mm-hmm. in Sydney. So it was like, that was, I, I just put those kind of connections together of like, and Joan, coach Joan, like coached me forever and was a huge influence in my water polo development, but it was just kind of a fun connection there for back to that Olympic team. So, yes. And who knew that Courtney's mom coached? That's so awesome. <laughs> without, without, without Courtney's mom, I'm not involved in water polo. So it's, it's a, it's a crazy world. <laughs> Small world. You know, Small we go world. back to that yeah. water polo is like one degree separation <laughs> everywhere we go. Yeah. And that's obviously it's kind of a problem. We always want our sport to grow fast, fast as possible, but also it's nice mm-hmm. because we have those human connections. Everyone's accessible. I remember when Sean, and I saw you at JOs this summer, and years on deck brought you down to introduce you to the kids and the way they lit up to be able to live and breathe and connect directly with, you know, a goat as yourself um, is very rare in other sports. Yeah. Yeah. That's our, our dilemma, right? Like we want to grow, but we don't want to lose that. So hopefully <laughs> we figure out the perfect formula for that. Right. So Brenda, what is, what are you most excited about? For the future of water polo part a of that question and part b of that question is what is what do we need to address to create mainstream mainstream acceptance and recognition of our sport like two parts there what are the two things you think like the pros and cons of water polo wow i'm excited about the continued growth i think that at the moment there's some intentionality about being more inclusive and thinking about where we can help the sport grow. And I think that'll help with the diversity that I want to see in our sport. So I think I'm really excited about, about, I know I'm excited about that. I know that we'll continue to grow. And I think there's great people in this sport and energy that is coming together for that. I think, um, I don't, I mean, I'm confused as to why our sport is in mainstream right you you talk about like a sport that's action-packed it's it's yeah. a short game <laughs> um I think one of I guess one of the pro not the problems one of our barriers or obstacles is how do we trans the live action right that you see at a game and that feeling to the screen right, right. Like, how do we get better cameras and more facilities so when we do show it it's um it's great like I was watching what is it? The SNR classic, the boys um, in California, they are having like NorCal and SoCal teams playing. It was Harvard Westlake against Sacred Heart. I coached some of the boys at Sacred Heart um, from a program I ran up north. So I was one of the moms sent me the link. So I was watching them and Harvard Westlake has like two camera angles and they were streaming it. 
for free. It was incredible, right? That I could, I couldn't make it to the game, but I could watch them. And they had one side camera, or I think it was behind the goal or above, but one view was just amazing. Right. And like for the water polo fanatic, right? You're like, wow, I wish that I could see more high school games, more college games this way. So I think if we could figure out a way for more pools to be able to stream on their own and have these angles, I think then we show the non-water polo fanatic, like, wow, this sport is really cool. They're, they're swimming and not touching the bottom and elevating that high. Like people are always so incredibly surprised at how athletic I think water right. polo players are and that they don't touch the bottom or the side. Right. So like, how do we showcase that more often and in a better way? Right. Oh, that's Sean's vision with game right on there. live studio. That's right. Ah. You saw <laughs> that's how many, how many games did you stream at junior Olympics over both or actually over all three sessions? We streamed over how many, we did like over 200 hours of water polo streaming for junior Olympics. So we had the four days at the two championship courses at all three sessions. So I don't know how many games that was too many to count. Yes. Um, so we're on the same page here. We are Sean. on the same page. You That's, know what it's going to take. I do he's know. actually doing it. He's I'm doing yes. it. I'm and this is exactly what it takes. We all talk about it. We, we, yes. we need to see more water pole, but you know, we're waiting for the ESPNs of the world and we have to just start ourselves from our own community. That's why. And, I'll add, going. and I'll add that. I think who gave me this stat, maybe Greg Musco. Um, director of communications at USA Water, but who's fabulous, who's, yeah. who's <laughs> been, or what's his new title now? Like he's, he's been around forever. He knows our sport. He knows other sports. Right. And I think the data of who is watching what we stream is disappointing. Yeah. So if our own membership isn't watching what we are putting out there, then what are we complaining about? Right. What are we complaining about? So it's also like a call to action to people that love this sport and talk about wanting to see it grow. But if we can't spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes watching what is being live streamed, then it's on us. Yeah. Yeah, no question. And I mean, it was pretty amazing at, at Junior Olympics. I think the, the streams that um, of, of those championship games, I mean, we have over almost approaching 20,000 views of that. So, I mean, it's one of those of People will watch it if you have quality production. That's been one of the big things that I've been trying to bring to the sport is let's read these athletes deserve to have their A, their names read, B, be recognized for how awesome they are as athletes. And like you said, quality cameras and all mixed together into a production. Um, I mean, Greg and I are working to do some college games this upcoming week, uh, this in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Game On Live Studios doing the... Uh, UCLA Cal game at mm -hmm. Cal. So that's going to be cool. We've got a couple of tournaments that we're working to put together just to create more accessibility, right? Because the nice thing about streaming is that it lives there and people can go back yeah. and see it uh, and see it live, but also be able to go back and see it. So we're, we're working. I'm on the same page. We got to show every game or close to it. So for people to be able to love it and go, go back to it. So Brenda, what are your own personal goals and involvement these days with water polo? And life. Yeah, and life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm in a interesting time right now because I just moved from NorCal to SoCal. So I, I'm taking some time to figure out next steps. But it seems that water polo is always a part of, of <laughs> my next steps, right? I, you I can never get away. <laughs> um, you know, I do like, as I say, the dark side of it, right? Like the admin side or the coaching side. Like I do enjoy 
coaching and connecting with athletes. I was at a school that um, I was able to coach middle school and high school. So I essentially was able to be a part of these athletes lives for like seven years. Right. So that was like, like incredibly special to see them as middle schoolers and then high schoolers. So trying to figure out what my next steps are, but for the sport, um, I think there's more growth to be had. And um, I hope to be able to help USA Water Polo identify just cities and places across the US where we could maybe um, do some intentional um, community engagement to see our sport grow. And I know you with the Alliance, right? And then me being a part of the um, racial equity task force, um, we're doing work, but it, this is work that doesn't, you don't see it in fruition like instantly, right? It's, it's you're putting in time and effort and connecting. So that to me is something that I'll continue to do because, because of commerce and the incredible opportunities that I was able to have, like, I want to pay it forward. Like I, I can't step away. And like, you do all this incredible work, Janai, with all these clinics, right? So like, for me, it's also being intentional about those clinics, right? Like, where do I go? Who do I connect with? And that goes back to having athletes being able to see themselves and their coaches. So, you know, in all of this stuff, just trying to be accessible. And I mean, I, I love the sport, so I won't walk away. So those are like some dreams I have. And one that's like out there that I have no control over, but it goes back to like this equity piece and um, this other, you know, just things that I'm passionate about is um, hopefully soon we'll have 12 women's Olympic team competing to the men's 12 yeah. Olympic men's team competing. So I will see Fina, if, if we could get working on that, that would be great. <laughs> So what, what are some of the, like the key from both of you, what the purpose of that task force, obviously inclusion, diversity, but what are, what are the, what are the working points now that you've worked started in that committee that you guys are working towards in the task Well, force? we, yeah, we'll, we'll have recommendations that we give to the board at the end of this month. Okay. Um, some of that is, you know, things we've already put in place is just identification and registration, like who's in our membership. We want people to feel seen and how do we know how to connect if we don't know who's in our membership. So like even in registration, like how do you identify things like that, where it was right. like these quick fixes that we could do, which gives us information. Um, we, we ran a pilot program um, this past summer. So there were some learnings from there that we'll share. So it's, you know, not about reinventing anything, right? It's like, how do we partner with other programs that have boots on the ground right. because we can't be everywhere. Well, but how could we help others get going? And then it's also about um, like where are growth. Should we, should we see a little one? Bring, bring them in, Brenda. Bring her in. Because that, we talk about growth of the sport. This is yeah. how we, this yeah, is how we grow the sport. Yes. <laughs> tell them what you just, what you're learning to do right now. I know how to ride a bike now. Yay. Fantastic. <laughs> With training wheels or no? I don't have training wheels. That's impressive. That's fantastic. That's like learning how to swim, learning how to ride a bike. Those are those huge milestones. Oh, yeah. Okay, go practice. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I bring him, you know, back to your daughter coming in the frame and you're talking about how special it was for you to play in front of both of your grandparents, your grandmothers and and in Mexico, 
um, for me, you know, we keep talking about this community, but it's at home. It's not everyone that's in the pool. It's the family support that really helps make feel people feel supported and comfortable in their zones um, and trying something new. So it's not just saying, oh, here, we're offering a, a camp in this area that's never had a water pool before. Here's a scholarship. I think it's really more of an educational piece and cultural piece. Uh, I talked to some people that, you know, they had a lot of, I don't push back almost like being at minimum not supported from their own community because it wasn't a traditional sport that people are accustomed to playing. So if we have a hundred thousand people right now playing, how do we reach the entire country and make it more accessible and supported? Um, and I think, you know, family and school is going to be a huge component of that. I agree. Right. It's like, it is, like parent education, like earlier, like connecting with the parents, like your kids are safe. Like you may not know how to swim, but we will keep your kids safe, come and try it. And then sharing our stories, Janaya, of like the incredible memories that we've made with teammates, the travel, the competition, and being able to share that with, with other communities where you can tell them like these experiences you get with soccer and you know it, but you'll also get it with water. Yeah. And this is, the additional things that you'll get with water polo too. Like you're learning a life-saving skill, like right, a life right. skill. So I think being able to pitch that I think is so important. I think sometimes we forget that. I, and I would, I would love to dive in just a little bit about water polo in commerce, California. Like you started I, just doing the math here in 1988 playing water polo in commerce, California, which is, you know, uh, the, the appropriate way to say this is that you see the teams from commerce and they don't look like the other teams, right? which is fantastic. And, and so how did, how, and it's a, it is a culture thing, right? I think the culture of water polo is important and, and having that community involvement. How did, how is commerce, why is commerce so successful? What are the things that they're doing uh, to attract kids into the program? Uh, I mean, obviously you've had a critical role in that. There's a building named after you. It's an incredible facility. Like what, what are some of the key things that they're doing in a community level to make water polo be such a viable option for their kids? So, I mean, you talk about like history and, and you, I, you think of commerce and one thing is they have that historical knowledge, right? Or I guess institutional yeah. knowledge institutional of water knowledge. polo, right? Sure, like for sure, yeah. In, in the seventies, uh, um, Sandy Nita, who Olympic swimmer, yep. um, works for the city, starts the program and the city at that point has decided to invest in its youth, provides all these um, free access to all these teams. So a city makes an investment. You start a woman who is very accomplished, starts <laughs> program, right? Yeah. And it just, it's just there. It's now a fabric of the city. Like everyone there knows it. And it, and it started with, I think the free access to, or low cost, some lessons, right? And right. the pool was such a focal point of the city. It was like such a nice, building. Like I talked to people that, that grew up in the neighboring communities, like East Los Angeles, Montebello, and everyone knows the commerce back that the aquatorium, because it was this nice facility that everyone could go to. Right. It was free for commerce residents. And if you weren't a resident, people tell me I paid 10 cents, I paid 50 cents, but it was still so accessible. Right. And I think that pools usually are not accessible to, um, lower income or, um, marginalized communities in general. So I think that's one thing that commerce established really early on. And then 
everyone was having fun. And it's such a small city that like, oh, my cousin plays. So then everyone just knows about it. And then you add on top of that, the success of the teams, right? So not only does someone have a relative that's playing, then you're like, oh, they're really good. Oh, they travel. So then you start adding travel and then you have the support of the city where it's um, vans to games, there's buses to games. So then working class families that maybe don't put their kids in sports because, oh, I don't know if we can make it to practice or make it to games. Then all of that is taken, all those barriers. I was just saying, removing the barriers. Yep. Are gone. Yeah. So then why wouldn't you put your kid in maybe not water pool, but there's softball and there's volleyball. So why wouldn't you put them in a sport? And then it's word of mouth, right? It's like everyone is so tight in the city that it's like, oh yeah, they have a great time. Let's do this. So, and I would say that commerce also back then it was, you can't, you did both. It was Monday, Wednesday, Friday, swimming, Tuesday, Thursday, water pool. So there wasn't this competition between sports. So that just added to all the different layers that have created this machine, I guess, for lack of a better word, right? Where everyone knows about it. And then you get into the era of like my age where, oh, now you can play in college. Oh, now there's a potential like athletic scholarship where there was women before me that were on the junior team and were amazing national team, but they didn't have the opportunity to, to play in college. So then that comes along and, and that is also another game changer, right? Where communities where your parents are not going to be able to pay for you to go to college or help in a significant way. You have to find other ways. So that was, then that created just another incentive. So, and then you have the, and then I go to the Olympics, then another commerce resident, right. Patty goes to the Olympics. So then it's like, wow, we have these, this is legit. Double we, champions. This. <laughs> we have Olympians. like, yeah. why wouldn't my kid try this sport? Right. That's pretty cool. I mean, I think that little piece right there for those clubs and teams that are listening out there, you just laid out how to grow your team and club, right? Essentially make it free or low cost for your kids to be able to get in, provide quality coaching as they're at that level so that have positive family experiences. Uh, I'm a fan of like travel. I think as I have, I'm into this 10 years now with my club and I've talked about with my older, my athletes that are alumni now, it's like, what's the best part of what we did as a water polo? Like, no one said like, oh, that one shootout win or any of that's like, oh, it's always traveling with your buds. You know what I mean? That's always the best part. And I think that's probably true whether you're on a 12 and under team or if you're on the Olympic team, <laughs> like the best part is just going and having, doing something different than most kids on the weekend. You know what I mean? Um, and now hopefully we can stream it and show it and see that and hopefully continue to create that flywheel effect of growth. So great. That's, that's perfect. I love that. So. So with your, with your own foundation, Brenda, um, how is that going and what information do you want to give any viewers? Yeah, no, my foundation, we, last year we, we pivoted, right. I had, um, I co-founded project 2020 and that was really to, to kind of mirror commerce in some way, right. To run programming, um, in East Menlo park and to provide some lessons. And now we've pivoted where we're not the Brenda Via Foundation, we're not necessarily creating programming. We're into like micro grants, like who can we partner with? Who can we help? Me and my co-founders, Kyle Lutsumi and Kelsey Holzhauser, um, we have, I think, 75 years, right, of institutional knowledge between right. us. We've all played sports. We've all had different upbringings. Kyle is coached at the highest levels, like Kelsey. 
uh, has played in college, has, you know, helped with businesses. So we have like all these, this knowledge that we want to share. So it's about how do we get you in front of a council meeting, right? If you need, you know, pool hours to extend or like, how do we help you create a, a splash ball program or, oh, you need, you know, a grant, like apply for it here at our foundation. How do we, we wanted to amplify our previous foundation where it was in one area where we know that now we know that there's need in a lot of places, right? Or that like need, and it's not always financial need, right? It's also like, how do we do the coach's education? How do we help you with parents? Or how do we, how just, and how do we partner? It's not about starting something new. I think there's a lot of existing um, programs out there that if they had some sort of like mentor or consultant or help, that would go a long way. So that's what you know, my foundation wants to do now what we're doing now. And it's moving slower than we want because <laughs> there's three of us, right? And we had some great interns this summer. So it's it's coming along and it was it's been really great to partner with the Swim for Diversity that was created, you know, making waves um, in light of George Floyd. Last year, um, Stanford Women's Water Polo team started this Swim for Diversity event. And we were one of the organizations that um, they suggested um, people could donate to. So they have been two years where we've been able to raise a lot of money. So now, not a lot of money. We raised money, enough money. Water polo money. I mean, right to help <laughs> others. So now, yes. <laughs> so now um, we're hoping to, yeah, to find more um, orgs to team up with. Like one org that I'll tell you about is, his aunt in, in San Jose. And the thing that drew us to them is, you know, bilingual swim school, like right. how something that is, I think, overlooked often, but that can make a huge difference is if you have kids that can't speak the language of this important life skill that you're trying to teach, like, how are they going to learn? Or how do we then invite a community in, right? Or they're like, we don't speak the same language. I'm you want my kid in the pool and I can't swim. Like, there's no way. So when we heard about this foundation or this swim school and what they're doing, like, we want to partner with you. We want to make sure you get more kids in the pool. And my co-founder went on a site visit and he's like, Brenda, you would have been so amazed um, at the multi-languages that were being spoken and like all the families that were there and just um, so happy to have their kids in the water learning to swim. So we want to find more orgs like that so if there's anybody that comes to mind like please reach out to us and send us an email. Yeah, how, do, how do we how do we connect with you I'll, I'll be happy to put that in the show notes and in the description for youtube so what's yeah, the, so I, what's the um, website or so yes yeah, brett i well our socials aren't that great right now we need i need to we have yeah we'll, how do, how do we we'll, follow, we'll follow up after the show and put those in for the information yes in. but you can reach us through um yeah through our website the brenda via foundation.org i believe i should know that and then social media or to me but there's an info an email info at brenda via org or bvfn or yeah we'll, we'll get all the details yeah. <laughs> it'll just be posted for people like me visual or even active links to click yes, yeah, yes. Connect we'll, directly. We'll, we'll post the links down in there and we'll find them and yeah, uh, you can as, as we close the show this. as we close the show we'll that. have it there <laughs> very good well fantastic um janai do, do you have any closing questions or follow-up for Brenda? I just want to say that Kyle's amazing as well. Um, yeah. Not only is he working with Brenda, oh, um, yes. he's working with Alliance with us as well. And um, 
you know, he has a wealth of information, you know, obviously silver lining, he's going yeah. back to the original, original, um, of female Olympic water polo games that Brenda took part in with that silver medal, um, you know, helping coach down the Stanford area and just, you know, a true supporter of our sport. Yeah. Um, and sounds like very one open-minded. Of, one of, should be one of our next guests. It sounds like. Yes. Yeah. We can make that happen. We can make that happen. Brenda, I truly appreciate, oh, one class closing thought that I've asked all of my guests uh, and other groups and events, but we're going to continue to the tradition on this podcast. What's your favorite hype song? What's your song that you listen to right before the game or between that coaching moment? Like what, what's the song that's going to bring down the house for Brenda? Okay. There's a lot. Okay. I'm ready. I got. <laughs> okay. One song. I can't even young G I put on for my city. Um, that's, I think that's the title or if not, I can find it for you, but there's some, um, I don't know all the titles though. There's definitely some, um, Jay-Z and Kanye West that Betsy Armstrong and I would rock out to. <laughs> London. Um, we were, when were we roommates? Probably a lot of times, but let's see. I mean, sometimes there's Spanish in there too. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's some Juanes in there. It just, it depends if it's what like right before a game or on the bus ride before the game there's you know you can't be too hyped on the bus you can't you be too hyped on the bus hour. For sure. so i just need something there's you know spanish always connects me to to my family to my mom and they're always a strength of mine so there's always spanish in there oh god i wish i knew more titles of songs but i mean i would yeah, say so rap and r&b definitely in spanish so, or, so your so your job is to make sure we get the right links okay, for the foundation. Okay, I'll do that. And and a couple song titles so okay, that we can put them I'll do in that. there because we're yeah. we're we're gonna we're gonna build a song list on Spotify and we're gonna yes. assign them to you so that you know that so the kids can go out and have the ultimate hype list from their from their heroes. Oh yes. So. Can I get a game on? You hear your best game on. Game on. In our show notes is a link you can use to send us a voice message. If you have a question or comment, don't hesitate to send it and we will incorporate it into the podcast. Please subscribe, rate, give a five-star review and share the podcast. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all by searching at GameOnLS. Check out our website, www.goals.co. That's www.gols.co. We are just trying to make a journey to be the voice for sport growth in the water polo wilderness. Always honor the game and keep your head on a pivot. Until next time, peace.